Hello, and welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Good Friday Service audio. This was our first message in our new building, and because of this, we had some technical difficulties where we lost the audio of the first 2 minutes and 33 seconds of the message. We apologize for the inconvenience and hope that you enjoy the rest of the message. Thank you. He who justifies the wicked finds not guilty the wicked. and condemns the righteous, both alike are an abomination before the Lord. So you see Job's problem. If God's just and God is just, he can forgive Job. And yet, Job knew there was mercy in God. He knew that one day, he would stand on this earth after he died. He knew that he would stand in his flesh and worship his Redeemer. The question of all the scripture is this. How can a holy, righteous God who has a righteous arm of judgment ever speak peace to people who've covered themselves in the filth of unrighteousness and shame because of sin. It's the question the whole Bible as it presents God in all of his glory and holiness in man in his rebellion and sin. And it seems like a problem that can be Saul. And yet Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot say, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. And your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue muttered wickedness. Well, that's you. And that's me. That's who we are. And yet, the prophet Isaiah, now we're on. <laughs> but prophet Isaiah, reveals to us that the Lord's hand is not short. This evening we're going to look at Isaiah, the end of 52 and Isaiah 53. Probably the most well-known prophecy of Christ uh, in the Old Testament that speaks of Christ's work on our behalf. And for those of you who are, who are familiar uh, with the book of Isaiah, there is four servant songs uh, in this book. And this is the, are there five, and this is the fourth. And Barry G. Webb says this about this text. He says, this fourth song is the most elaborate and poignant of them all. It is the jewel in the crown 
of Isaiah's theology, the focal point of his vision. And so we'll pick up in Isaiah uh, 52, beginning in verse uh, 13. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. So in this first stanza of this song, he summarizes everything else that's to come. This prophesied servant that's going to come, that's going to bring justice to the earth, as we saw in the uh, in Isaiah 40, uh, and then the one who is going to set his face like flint and give his back over to those who with him. This servant is going to act wisely, and it says he shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. And you probably know what that means. But this would be surprising for uh, an Israelite. Because someone who blasphemed the Lord was supposed to be stoned. And in the Mishnah and in the Sanhedrin, uh, some some ancient Jewish uh, writings about how they stoned people. It was interesting uh, how they did it. The place of stoning was described as twice a man's height. So there was like a, an 11 foot pit that they would take the condemned uh, uh, person to be stoned. And they would walk him to the edge of that pit and they would grab him around the waist and they would thrust him down so that he would go headfirst down into the rocks. About 11 feet down. Now every now and then the fall would kill the condemned person and that was it. But usually it didn't. And step two to the stoning is they would take a large boulder, a large rock, and they'd position the man or woman who's being stoned and they would roll it off the precipice so it would land on the chest of the person who is being stoned. But here, Christ prophesying his capital punishment, we're told he will be high and lifted up. He would be uh, lifted up on a cross. You remember uh, in Numbers 21 when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were complaining against Moses and they were complaining against God and uh, they were doubting the goodness of God uh, in Numbers 21.6, here's what we read happens. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died, so that many uh, people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord 
did he take away the serpents from us? So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a broad serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And we know that John tells us in John 3, uh, when he says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever may have eternal life. So in Numbers, the curse that was killing the people, the serpents, a sign of the curse was lifted up. If a person would just look and see the curse, they would be healed. On 8.28, Jesus said to them, You have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know I am He. And in John 12.32, Jesus said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show what kind of death He is, was going to die. And so right away, we see that the servant is going to act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and exalted. And then verse 14 says, and this is in the perspective of how the people viewed Christ. It's a prophecy to how they're going to view Him. Because within this song, we get to see the people's perspective that don't have understanding. That's what we're going to see at the beginning. Then we're going to see Israel as they begin to understand the cross. And then we're going to get to see God's perspective all in this song. And so in verse 14, we see how people responded. He says, as many were astonished at you. It would probably better be better to, uh, instead of astonished, to think of appalled. As he was high and lifted up, uh, this word in Hebrew means appalled. The people looked at him and they were appalled at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So as he was lifted up, they were appalled as they could hardly tell this is a human on the cross. He is so beaten. And then verse 15 just seems odd. So shall he sprinkle many nations. So they look at him and they're appalled at what they see on the cross. So? So that he may sprinkle many nations? So how could it be that since he's marred, many nations will be sprinkled and sprinkled with what? Well, just going back a few verses to Isaiah 52, 11. Here's what we read. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Anyone that was going to the vessels of the Lord in Israel, they needed to purify themselves. They needed to go through the washings. They needed to sprinkle themselves 
because they were sinful, they were unholy, they were unable to touch those things, but somehow this servant that is beaten on a cross is going to, that people are appalled with, the one who is his appalling, he's being killed as a criminal, he's naked, he's unclean, the unclean one is going to sprinkle many nations, cleanse many nations, purify. How can this be? It's so astonishing that it says kings shall shut their mouths because the one Lord cleanses the nation, the, even the Gentiles to handle holy vessels. How could this ever be? For that which has not been told they see and that which they have not heard, they understand, they get to see how people began to understand what was going on. And then we get to hear from Israel's perspective as they're beginning to figure out what's going on on the cross. One of Isaiah 50, who is believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. You see the, uh, the pronoun we? So this is Israel talking. Uh, they're saying we didn't understand who he was. He looked unimpressive. Like a dry, like a tender shoot out of dry ground. And then it says, he had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So this is Israel beginning to figure out the the believing Israelites beginning to figure out that his suffering was for them. A man of sorrows, our verse 4, surely has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. They were confused. It looks like God's judging him on the cross. This, is the, this has to be the judgment of God, doesn't it? As he's hanging on the cross, as they're trying to figure this out. And then verse 5, but, and here's the key. Here's the key to the whole scripture. This is the answer to the question. How can a holy God save sinful people and remain just? Look at what it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is 750 years before it happened, before crucifixion was ever even invented. 
before the Romans had taken it on as their favorite choice. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. That's pointing to his death, a substitutionary death. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Israel's now speaking collectively as one. Remember Isaiah? When he got to see a vision of God in Isaiah 6? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. Well, now Israel saying, we have all gone astray. There's one category of people, and it's those who have rebelled against God. All we have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And now we get to see Isaiah's perspective in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its tears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. See, this is Isaiah talking about his people. They made his grave with the wicked. This is speaking of Christ's death. He was crucified with criminals on a cross. And with the rich man in his death, this speaks of Joseph of Arimathea coming and wanting his body uh, to be placed in his tomb that he had once again 750 years before it ever happened. The scriptures told us about this servant. And then he says, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So there he is. The suffering servant is dead. He died with criminals. He's buried with the rich man. And if this is all we knew of Christ, what would we say to accomplish? We wouldn't really know the end of the story if the lamb just merely dies. But we see in verse 10, where Isaiah says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Let that sink in. This was God's plan. This wasn't plan B. This was God's plan. And God hates sin so bad that when sin is placed on his only (coughs) begotten son, God's righteous judgment, it's his will to crush his 
only begotten Son. There was no deceit in his mouth, but he was crushed for what? Our iniquities. And then he says, he's put into grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Remember when he said he's going to sprinkle? Because of him being marred on the cross, he's going to sprinkle many nations. He's going to cleanse them. It's a guilt offering that's going to be accepted, so it's going to be made clean. God's plan was to send Christ to die. And he died just like a lamb in a normal offering. As they sacrificed so many lambs, they died and he died. And all sin and guilt was taken away from his people. But unlike a normal lamb in a normal guilt offering that after he's offered up ceases to exist, this lamb is different. As Scott read, though Jesus really died, though the Lamb of God's eyes really went shut and darkness overcame him, because this is the hour of the power of darkness, Christ said, as he was being handed over. But when this Lamb's eyes shut. It didn't stay dark. Because he says as he opens his eyes he shall see his offspring. So the lamb who is dead sees. And what he sees satisfies it. And this is the thing that is the hardest for us to believe. Christian, how do you think Christ sees you? How do you picture the way Christ looks towards you? You need to look at this text. You need to meditate on this text. You need to think about this text. He was crushed for your iniquities. He was pierced for your transgressions. But it was a guilt offering. And it was accepted. And you've been sprinkled. And the lamb didn't stay dead. He opened his eyes and he saw his offspring. And then it says, he shall prolong his days. Speaking of his resurrection. The will of the Lord shall prosper uh, in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. You say, well, I don't believe Christ would ever be satisfied when looking at me. Well, you need to understand he is satisfied, Christian, when he looks at you because his work on the cross really worked. The resurrection was, was like the receipt from God saying 
the purchase went through. Payment was made. And then he says, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. Remember at the beginning when it says he shall act wisely? Well, this is coming full circle. Christ did this with full knowledge. And he did this with full knowledge of your sin. The sins you would never want to reveal to anybody. The most embarrassing sins. The sins that you might think, there's no way God could forgive me in light of this sin. And yet, when Christ died, he did it knowing who you are and everything you would do. He did it with knowledge. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. You see that? He's satisfied with you, not because you really became righteous, but because you were accounted righteous. It was given to you as a gift. And then he says, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So rather than a weak, what looks like a weak criminal that's helpless on a cross, he's now alive. Now he's presented as a conquering king that is bringing the spoil to share with his people. He says, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. There's only one group of people. There's transgressors. And it's only those who see that they're dying that see they are cursed because of their sin. It's only those that see the curse of their sin lifted up on a cross and find their hope in Him that would be healed. That's called faith. Putting your trust in Him. And the question for everyone in here is, do you see Him? Do you see Him bearing your sin on the cross. You might say, well, I, I think I see him. Well, then here's my next question. Do you see him come back live, opening his eyes and be satisfied with looking at his offspring? Those who are born again because of his work. My prayer is, is if you don't, know Christ, you haven't looked to Him, you haven't understood the Scripture, what it's all about, that you would turn to Him. That you would see the way God can remain just and forgive you is because your sins were actually punished on Christ. That's the only way God can be just and save sinners. 
And I want every believer in here to be encouraged to look at Christ. There's a reason why it's called Good Friday. At first glance, we might say, how could we ever call this Good Friday? Because there wouldn't be any good day for sinners that have the wrath of God remaining on them apart. There wouldn't be any good day, only a fearful expectation of judgment. Father, thank you that you don't only reveal what Christ did for us in the Bible, but you reveal what Christ did for us way before Christ ever took on human flesh. So that we know that this is you acting. This is the will of God to prosper. Your plan taking place. 